Hey, podcast family, welcome back to another episode. Yes, it is Saturday, August the 12th, and yes, I am doing this on location because I am on call and I'm at the hospital. And I figured out that doing a podcast at the hospital is definitely not the ideal situation. I miss my little podcast booth. I miss my regular microphone. I miss my soundproof little room. Uh, and I really don't like doing this by myself because usually guys are giving me, my, my, my two partners, Matt and Chris, who help with the audio, usually give me weird faces when I go off track like I'm doing right now. Uh, they usually give me the, you know, the cut sign or you know put their hands across their neck like cut, cut. And I get no kind of feedback here. But we're still going to make it work. If you follow our Facebook page, you got to see the fantastic, wonderful little breakfast that I had on call today at the hospital because uh, I felt like I was 12 years old again. Did you all see that? So I posted a picture. Of course, I had my cup of coffee because that goes without saying. But I did have a cheddar cheese stick and like a Slim Jim and the little uh, beef stick that comes with it. Yeah. See, you all want to figure out, you know, hey, I wonder how Chopper rolls on call. Well, I travel, I roll with the cheddar cheese stick and the Slim Jim little beef stick in my pocket because that's my nutrition. You see, again, nobody's here to make faces at me, so I've totally derailed. In this episode, we're going to cover something that just came out on August the 10th. Remember, it's August the 12th right now, so two days ago, all right? Two days ago from the Gray Journal. Now, let me set the stage for a minute because this actually came out ahead of print at the end of 2022, all right? I get that. However, it finally is released uh, in the general population, uh, in the general publication area, why did I say general population? You see this, guys? Uh, I need to stop doing podcasts on call because my brain is like fried. Okay, now that it's released in the general publications uh, on August the 10th, it's interesting because the data that these authors use to do this expert review um, is now kind of outdated. You're like, what? Wait a minute. This just came out on August the 10th. I know it. It came out on August the 10th. It is a great review on how to prevent perineal trauma during childbirth. In other words, how to prevent lacerations, right? Who doesn't want that? Uh, I surely don't want an oasis tear. I got to be very thankful. I haven't had a third degree. Definitely haven't had a fourth degree in a long time. Knock on wood. Well, if I was superstitious, I would knock on wood. But Anyway, I, you know, first and second degree lacks are not without their problems. I'm going to explain in a minute. And so this expert review, this article that came out officially on August the 10th, 2023, just two days ago, is a fantastic review. But this is why people get frustrated with medical studies. I'm going to, I'm going to show you the example of this, okay? Because in this publication, uh, they review several things that could possibly help prevent lacerations, including oasis tears. Of course, we'll review that as well. However, one of the Cochrane reviews that they quote is from 2017. However, there's been another meta-analysis that was done in 2022, and one just came out in February of 2023. And you guessed it, not all of them say the same thing in terms of their result. Ah, don't you love medicine? See, this is why it's important to take all of the data that's out there as an aggregate. And then we will make our own decision based on, remember, is it low risk? And what is the potential benefit of adopting a certain intervention or practice, all right? So the episode is going to focus on one particular thing that can be done or instructed uh, for patients to try to prevent perineal lacerations at birth, all right? And that is perineal massage. 
Now, before you go, wait a minute, that's kind of hokey. I'm not doing that. You know, I'll leave that to the midwives. First of all, thank God for our midwives because we get the whole field of obstetrics from them. So shame on you for thinking that. But And I know that some of you do because I've talked to some of you. <laughs> I work with some of them, all right? Um, but the truth is perineal massage really has a lot of data on it. And there's two camps of when this is done. It's done antepartum and it can be done intrapartum. So here's the question. Does perineal massage done antepartum and or intrapartum help reduce perineal trauma? Or is it just weird? So we're going to get into that data here. Does perineal massage prevent trauma or lax? And I'm going to tell you because this is a great publication that just came out uh, two days ago. But even that now is a little outdated, and I'm going to explain why. It's a good topic and something we can discuss with our patients and even with our labor and delivery staff. So let's cover perineal massage for prevention of lax in this episode. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think this is something that we kind of take for granted, um, perineal lacerations, right? Because we get so used to like, oh, it's a first degree, it's just a second degree. Uh, and you notice we just said there, oh, it's just a second degree. But is it really just a second degree? I mean, according to the data, all grades of perineal trauma can be associated with significant physical and psychological morbidity, not just in the immediate postpartum interval, but it can also last up to 18 months. There's plenty of data that one of the main independent risk factors for postpartum dyspareunia or just a delay in resuming of sexual activity is the occurrence of lacerations. And yes, it's true. The grade of the laceration obviously affects that so that a fourth degree is more than a third degree. A third degree affects it more than the second degree. But all grades of perineal trauma is still associated with significant physical and psychological morbidity. So it's not just that they're in fourth degrees. So if you're thinking first, well, wait a minute, how's a first degree going to give somebody psychological morbidity? Um, because everyone's different. And sometimes based on their own sensation and their, uh, their uh, nervous system firing, uh, they may be uh, prone to just feeling a first degree laceration differently than somebody else. So never discount somebody's laceration as, oh, it's just a first degree or, oh, it's just a second degree. Because while definitely less morbidity than a third or fourth degree called OASIS injuries, right, obstetrical anal injury, uh, what? Obstetrical anal sphincter injuries. I messed that one up. Oasis tears. First and second degrees uh, are still uh, problematic. And, and this has been published in a variety of episodes, which this actually brings me to a, a kind of a cool point. 
total self-promo here, but I'm very proud of this, and it's fun, and I hope it goes well. I mean, I have no idea what they're going to ask, so I'm always a little leery of live, you know, episodes, live broadcasts, because, uh, yeah, I don't have any questions to go by. They're just going to ask me some questions, we're going to go from there, but I'm going to be on Doctors uh, Sirius uh, XM Radio uh, this Monday, and we're going to be talking about something very similar to this, which is sex after baby, and myths uh, regarding sex after baby. One of the biggest myths is, hey, just wait six weeks, and then after six weeks, you're ready to go. Like like at six weeks in a day, libido is at 100%, like a toaster, just boom, just pops right back up. Uh, and, and emotionally and physically, the patient's ready to go. That's a myth. We now know that there is no exact time of when patients can uh, resume sexual activity, and it depends, oddly enough, on the patient. Duh. But this whole thing about no sexual activity for six weeks, that's good advice. That's very paternalistic, and, and that's helpful. But for some, six weeks may be entirely too long. Some are ready to go. Hey, they had no lacerations or a mole tip. They're good to go. Uh, they have no other uh, uh, health issues or psychological stressors. They could be ready to go in, in three weeks. If they're ready to go, fine. I don't recommend that. But if the patient is okay with that, that's fine. And for others, six weeks is entirely too short. They're like, I'm not ready to do that. And it may take them up to six months to get their libido back uh, and, and their well-being back. And they may not feel comfortable to do that for a while. So this whole issue of, of six weeks is one of those myths that we're going to discuss on Monday's program. But it's tied into this issue that one of the biggest uh, uh, risk factors, again, one of the biggest obstacles for women uh, having sexual activity after childbirth is the presence of lacerations. So when I read this new publication, again, that just came out on August the 10th, I'm like, yeah, this is big. This is very timely, not just because we're going to talk about this on Monday, but this is a real world issue, right? So this expert review, um, which is not an independent systematic review or meta-analysis, is just reporting on things that have been published and then giving their opinion, uh, comes out of the Gray Journal, okay? The title is The Prevention of Perineal Trauma During Vaginal Birth. And of course, as we mentioned before, that came out as a publication ahead of print in 2022, but officially came out in print just two days ago on August the 10th. And I want to focus on something, uh, even though it talks about positions in labor, which again, the data is is not all that clear. And of course, it talks about the use of operative vaginal delivery, which obviously is a known risk factor for lacerations, right? I want to focus on, on, on one main issue here, and that's perineal massage. Now, in some of the data, Perineal massage is done by itself, and I'm going to explain how to do perineal massage. And then some of it is with warm compresses. So we're going to, we're going to tackle both of those together, all right? Now, perineal massage can be done either antepartum as well as intrapartum, whereas warm compresses are done intrapartum. Is that fair? Uh, and then we're going to take a look at what this, what this data shows. But it's interesting because even in this expert review, again, just came out in print two days ago, it just shows you that nothing is uh, perfect, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, people are, are doing these. People are people, uh, and things escape uh, copy review and then proof editing because in the second page of this expert review, there's table one. Okay, Table one is the Sultan classification of perineal trauma. So I want to focus on this for a minute. That's Sultan as in S-U-L-T-A-N. Now, this is nothing new because ACOG actually told us about the Sultan criteria and recommended that we use it uh, when it did its Prevention of Obstetrical, Obstetric Anal Injury uh, Bulletin uh, back in 2018. 
Okay, so that was prevention and management of obstetric lacerations at vaginal delivery from uh, 2018, and that was practice bulletin 198. Now, don't freak out. I know that you know this. You just may not know that it was called the Sultan criteria, but it is. That's the one that we always use, right? First degree is injury to the perineal skin only. Second degree is injury to the perineum involving the perineal muscles, but not involving the anal sphincter. And the Sultan criteria is what takes the third degree lack and breaks it up into 3A, 3B, and 3C. So if you ever have a third degree, it's actually the most correct, and these are all separate ICD-9 codes, ICD-10 codes, pardon me, is to put 3A, 3B, or 3C. So 3A is less than 50% of the external anal sphincter. 3B is more than 50% of the external anal sphincter. And then 3C is when both the external and the internal anal sphincter are torn, but obviously not including the rectal mucosa. And a fourth degree is all of that, and obviously including the anal epithelium, all right? So that's nothing new. That came out in 2018. But here's why, as I mentioned, you know, nothing is perfect. People are people, and, and things get missed. So in this new publication from just two days ago, when you take a look at Table 1, which is there's the Sultan classification, under third degree, it says that 3B is less than 50% of the external anal sphincter thickness being torn. The problem with that is that it's exactly the same as the 3A explanation that's immediately on top of that. So it's just a quick little typo, but they need to do an errata on that because 3B is not less than 50% of the external anal sphincter. It is more than 50% of the anal sphincter, external anal sphincter being involved. So yeah, you see that that got missed by uh, by a second pair of eyes, by copy review and by proofing. Um, so yeah, that's a little typo. So in table one, under the Sultan classification of this new publication that just came out in print on August the 10th, 3B is incorrect. Sorry, guys. Talking about these issues of these lacerations, there's a nice paper that came out of uh, Medica, which is a journal of clinical medicine that was published in June of 2022. And I'll put this uh, link in, in the references. But the title is The Effects of Perineal Tears During Childbirth on a Woman's Sex Life. Again, we're going to be talking about this on Monday. And, and it says exactly what a bunch of other publications have stated as well, that one of the independent risk factors for uh, uh, for delay in resumption of vaginal uh, intercourse or vaginal penetration uh, is lacerations. And yes, the higher the degree of lack, the more the impairment. But even first and second degree are not innocent, okay? And I'm not saying that lacerations are the only thing that determines the resumption of sexual intercourse. I mean, come on, guys. You all, right? And there's a lot of factors. There's fatigue, possibility of postpartum depression, interpersonal relationships. There's mental health. There's physical health. There's all of those other factors. But in, in terms of, of vaginal uh, trauma, the presence of vaginal trauma, whether laceration or uh, episiotomy-based, is an absolute independent risk factor for delaying sexual intercourse and even sexual satisfaction. So in not one publication has it been like, oh yeah, fourth degree lax, oh, those women are ready to go. I mean, they're the quickest ones to resume sexual intercourse. I haven't found it, and I've taken a look at all of the data. Maybe there's one out there, but that's not what I have found. Because all lacerations outside of the physical pain uh, and the psychological issues that goes with it, again, it definitely affects uh, intimacy. So this is why this is an issue. And giving patients potentially some advice, especially for prima gravitas, which are at highest risk for, for laceration, 
giving them the the education that hey possibly there's something that you could do and to partum you and your partner to try to reduce lacerations from occurring uh maybe we should we should explain that if the data says it's there so remember we're focusing here on perinatal massage either antepartum or intrapartum and then we'll also touch on warm compresses intrapartum because warm compresses antepartum doesn't make any sense right that's not gonna that's not gonna help it, it's only at the time of delivery but perineal massage can be done on both sides either anti or intrapartum all right y'all remember that in terms of risk factors for perineal trauma there are modifiable risk factors and then non-modifiable i mean if you're a prima gravita that's non-modifiable right i mean i can't fix that and that it is what it is other non-modifiable factors includes uh, increased maternal age post-term births uh, increased uh, fetal estimated birth weight and increase in efw perineal edema that that's something that i can't take away i mean if it's there it's there and that's a risk factor for laceration because the tissue is is soft right it's more easily uh torn and a prolonged second stage i, I can't help those those are those are non-modifiable issues modifiable issues that have been associated with second degree lacerations or above include operative vaginal delivery maternal birth positions possibly that's an issue i'm not going to get into that but maybe we can do that in another episode and of course another modifiable risk factor for severe obstetric anal injuries or oasis tears uh, is the use of episiotomy right so episiotomy remember just have to say this to be legit definitely not considered routine it is very restrictive and even with shoulder dystocia the only indication to do an episiotomy and it would be favorable to do a medial lateral episiotomy versus a straight median is if you need extra room to do a uh, a posterior arm extraction or the maneuvers but just because you do an episiotomy that's not technically going to help the dystocia because the baby isn't stuck back there it's not stuck behind the perineum it's stuck behind the anterior pubic symphysis right so uh, this is the issue so uh, episiotomy is not a routine part of shoulder dystocia it's only part of of doing maneuvers if you need that extra space in the posterior compartment now, here's one thing that's super interesting that's really not reported on as frequently as it should regarding the non-modifiable risk factors, all right? So we talked about uh, the length of second stage, the baby's weight, can't fix that, the size of the pelvis, right, size of mom's pelvis, that's non-modifiable. But one thing that's not really given that much attention to because it's non-modifiable and you can't really do anything about that but it is an independent risk factor for lacerations is the size of the perineal body y'all get that right so if the perineal body is super super long um, that raises the risk of some laceration I mean, that makes sense and if the perineal body is super super small in conjunction with a big old head then that raises the risk of an oasis tear so this is something that's that's not really reported on very much and it's actually not really discussed in this new august 10th 2023 publication but uh, the size of the perineal body really is kind of a big deal. Uh, one of the last uh, papers that looked at this was by Lane et al. in 2017. The title of the publication, fittingly enough, is Perineal Body Length and Perineal Lacerations During Delivery in Primogravid Patients. 
And in this paper, they found that to those with a perineal body length of less than 3.5 centimeters and a prolonged second stage of greater than 99 minutes were both associated with an increased risk of oasis tears, right? Remember, this was only in primogravitis. The short of it is that's a non-modifiable issue. I mean, I can't do anything about that. But maybe it's something that we can uh, educate our patients on. But yeah, I've never actually sat there with a little ruler and measured a, a laboring patient's perineal body. But it's just something to keep in mind. All right, so one of the things that can be done, especially in nulliparous women, because nulliparous women, uh, again, have never done this before. The perineal muscles are more taut uh, and, and they're at risk of having a lack. But one of the things that can be done is this issue of perineal massage. Now, to be very clear, this is not a sexual thing, guys, although I've had patients tell me, hey, we started out doing your perineal massage, trying to prevent lacks, and wow, things got kind of kind of wacky from there. Hey, if they want to do that, that's fine. But I want to be very clear, this is not meant to be sexual, okay? And I've had both both patients and husbands go, perineal massage is great. It always ends up with something else. Man, why do you have to tell me that? One, I don't want to know that. Two, I don't want to know that. <laughs> but so, so be very clear, this is not a sexual thing, okay? But perineal massage is a specific uh, act. There's specific instructions to do that. And it typically starts around 34 weeks onward. And please don't, you know, I mean, it's not like you have to do this like three or four times a day. I mean, once a day is fine. Obviously, twice a day would be better. But the idea is that by constant stretching of the superficial transfer of perineal muscles, as well as relaxing the bobocavernosis muscles, which are the muscles immediately surrounding the introitus, right? So those are the muscles beneath the labia minora. Um, if, if you took that skin off, took away the sub, uh, subcutaneous tissue, the bobocavernosis, of course, uh, is what helps Kegel of the vagina uh, closed, right? Especially at the introitus. So that's perineal massage. And the way that it's done is either by using one or two thumbs into the uh, vagina and then pressing downward towards the rectum, towards the anus, and then uh, or two fingers placed place inside the vagina and then pushing down uh, kind of away and down towards the anus. Make sense? So one or two fingers start in the midline. Uh, and then kind of massaging, pressing a little bit of, using a little bit of pressure towards the anus, uh, and then downward uh, around it, okay? Now, this should never be done dry. This always should use a little bit of lubrication uh, or even a little bit of, of natural oil, like almond oil or olive oil, uh, so it doesn't uh, break any tissue. Obviously, if you're doing it and it's hurting, that's too much pressure, all right? So a patient can do this by themselves. They can do it with a partner. Uh, and the idea is, as you would never run a marathon without stretching your muscles, right? So you're going to get a ligament tear. Uh, it's exactly the same thing here. So it's a way to prepare uh, the perineal muscles for stretch. And we're going to see if that actually works or if it's just a little weird and hokey. This new published expert review does remind us that there is published RCTs that have looked and evaluated the effectiveness of perineal massage using something like almond oil by the woman or her partner from 34 weeks of gestation onward. Again, so this is in the antenatal period. We're going to talk about doing perineal massage intrapartum in just a minute. A 2013 Cochrane review pulled the effect estimates from these RCTs and found that perineal massage did actually significantly reduce the incidence of perineal trauma that required suturing. Now, I need to explain that because it's not very clear when you first read it. It says reduced lacerations are required suturing. So you're like, great. So what is that like? 
second degree, third degree, fourth degree? Well, it seems to be second degree because that same Cochrane review, when they specifically looked at a sub-analysis for oasis tears, right, obstetrical anal uh, sphincter injuries, it actually found no significant benefit when antenatal perineal massage was performed. So in other words, when you read, oh, it, it significantly reduced the rate of lacerations that required suturing, Great. Well, except the fact that they were not oasis. It doesn't diminish the result. It still prevents uh, the need for suturing of, of grade two lacerations. But to be clear, it did not show a benefit for oasis lacs. And they reduced it by about 9%. So again, this is 2013. You all know I'm not going to keep you all out of 2013 data because... While this one did show, hey, perineal massage and partum definitely reduced the rate of lax, I'm going to tell you what the 2023, the one, a new systematic review that just came out in February, what that had to say about it. But let's start in 2013. The 2013 Cochrane Review showed that perineal massage antepartum did reduce the rate of lacerations requiring suturing by 9%. Just to be clear, that 9% reduction, remember, was in nulliparous women. So multiparous women, because the, you know, the passages already had uh, that little bit of relaxation with the delivery, that's a different issue. But in nulliparous women, it reduced it by 9%. When you took a look at the data, the number needed to treat to prevent a perineal trauma was only 14. So that's pretty good, right? The number of nulliparous women needed to treat with antenatal perineal massage to reduce one additional case of perineal trauma requiring suturing was 14. So it's not like you needed to you know, do perineal massage in 100 to get one. It was one for every 14. So that's pretty good. And again, the data regarding this perineal massage in multi-paris patients is, is not as reassuring, but again, it can't hurt, but most of the benefit seems to be in nulliparis patients. So thank goodness that data has advanced from 2013 because even though perineal massage antepartum based on that 2013 review was like, nah, maybe not so good for oasis tears, there was a separate meta-analysis from 2020 that included seven RCTs that took a look at perineal massage antepartum and the incidence of oasis injuries. And according to this publication, so you see how things change, guys? 2013, ah, oh, Perineal massage, great. It's going to help prevent maybe some second degrees, but not third or fourth degrees. Jump forward now seven years to 2020, and a new meta-analysis says, oh, hey, perineal massage, yeah, that stuff works. It significantly reduced the incidence of oasis by 64% with a relative risk of 0.36. The confidence interval there, guys, is from 0.14 to 0.89, so it's pretty significant. So, the question is, as of 2020, can perineal massage decrease the rate of oasis tears? Well, as of 2020, yes. But wait, there's more. Remember I said that we're going to talk about one from 2022 and then one from February of this year, 2023. But right now, let's just leave it at where we are right now. Let that simmer in. Let that soak. Let that kind of marinade. 2020, yes, perineal massage did reduce the rate of oasis tears by 64%. Now, before we get into the issue of perineal massage intrapartum, let's kind of leave the antepartum issue, okay? So in an only gravid patient, 
um, it's, it's something that potentially could help. So remember our previous motto, right in our adage, hey, if it's low risk and could even just possibly help, then maybe it's something that the patient should be told about or something that could be implemented. Well, that's pretty much where we're at here for antepartum, not intrapartum, but antepartum perineal massage, okay? It seems that potentially it could help uh, and definitely can't hurt unless you're doing it wrong. All with the understanding that please don't do this if the patient, uh, you know, doesn't like it or if she tries it and says it's painful, obviously have her stop it, okay? So all to say if the patient is willing to do it, it seems to help. But here's the question. What about intrapartum use? Now, this expert review does take a look at intrapartum maneuvers, and here's where I want to, uh, here's where I want to focus on. And while we're looking at perineal massage, again, we're not talking about, you know, position changes or anything else like that, but I do want to focus on perineal massage intrapartum. The Cochrane Review that took a look at the effect of perineal massage intrapartum at the second stage that the authors reference in this expert review is from 2017. And the title, as you would guess, appropriately is Perineal Techniques During the Second Stage of Labor for Reducing Perineal Trauma. According to this 2017 Cochrane Review, perineal massage, which included five RCTs, did reduce the risk of oasis tears by 51%. Remember, this is intrapartum, 51%. That's pretty good. It also looked at warm compresses, and warm compresses also helped to reduce the risk of oasis tears by 54%. So again, 2017, intrapartum, hey, perineal massage seems to work. 51% reduction and warm compresses also seem to work at 54% reduction, both as independent interventions. So where are we at right now? Remember, we talked about antepartum. We have one Cochrane review from 2017 that says, hey, intrapartum massage seems to work. And now this brings us to another systematic review on the same subject of intrapartum massage on 2022. All right. So this is the Journal of Family Reproductive Health. So the Journal of Family Reproductive Health 2022, the title is the same as the others, Perineal Massage for Prevention of Perineal Trauma and Episiotomy During Labor, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Analysis. Yes, they threw in appeases. I know, I know, we don't do that routinely, but it's part of what they looked at. So these authors took a look at 10 trials evaluating over 4,000 women and took a look to see if perineal massage during labor in the second stage could reduce severe perineal trauma, right? So we're talking about oasis tears. And this one kind of validated the 2017 Cochrane Review that said, yeah, this meta-analysis shows that perineal massage during labor is an effective tool to reduce the rate of severe perinatal injury. And again, that includes specifically third and fourth degree lacs. The relative risk here was 0.52. So very comparable to the 2027 publication. Everybody good? So intrapartum, We've got 2017 says perineal massage can help. 2022 says perineal massage can help. Oh, and just to be clear, this 2022 report did include some perineal massage also in the first stage of labor. Okay, so it was truly intrapartum, not just at second stage. It included first stage and second stage of labor. Now, come on, podcast family, you know it'd be way too easy if the last piece of the puzzle, the last publication that came out February 2023 in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics, it'd be too easy if that said that it agreed, right? I mean, it just can't be that way. See, this is again, as I mentioned in the intro, this is why people get frustrated with medicine because you're like, yay, intervention A works. All right. Hey, intervention A does work. All right. And then you get something that goes, hey, intervention A sucks. Boo. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is why you got to look at all of the data, okay? Because as you can guess where I'm going by this, the last publication, which was this year, just six months ago, that took a look at, quote, the efficacy of perineal massage during the second stage of labor for the prevention of perineal injury, quote, which was another systematic review and meta-analysis, was not so favorable on the subject. Now, you see how I said, hey, th this publication that came out just two days ago uh, is already a little outdated because that gray journal uh, expert review uh, actually came out, remember, ahead of print last year in 2022. So this new publication that I'm about to tell you wasn't included. This is why data always moves so fast. This is why we do this podcast. And at the end, don't worry, I'm going to make sense of it all. And it all goes back to our basic motto that we've already discussed. Is this a low-risk intervention? The answer is yes. And could it possibly help? The answer is absolutely um, so that's where we'll kind of leave it at, okay? But let's do cover, as we wrap this up, this 2023 uh, publication from February, which was the last systematic review and meta-analysis uh, that took a look at this. And again, this was not included in the Gray Journal's expert review from two days ago. All right, well, let's just go ahead and pee in the cereal here. I mean, let's just mess up the whole deal. The 2023 publication was by Marcos Rodriguez et al. And again, the journal was the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics. For this publication, authors took a look at a variety of publication databases. And in order for the articles to be included in this, the articles had to have been published within the last 10 years. Out of all of the results they found, seven studies were included in the meta-analysis. All right, let's just beat it to the punch here because we're running out of time. Short of it is what they found was that perineal massage during the second stage of labor, again, intrapartum, yeah, it appeared to be effective at preventing episiotomies, which is fine because we don't do those anymore, but it did not appear to be effective in reducing the incidence and severity of perineal tears. So this goes against 2017. It goes against the 2022 publication. Ugh. All right, so you see that? conflict and you're like well how can how can people take a look at the same data and get different results well it's very easy it depends on what you're looking for it looks like uh, what data you actually extrapolate and put into the systematic review and this is why people get frustrated i i don't think it's a thing to get frustrated about i think that's one of the beauties of medicine that's why medicine is remembered i've said many times before is a science as well as an art so it depends on how you cut the pie in other words all right so it, it's not that perineal massage was of no value because in this publication and this systematic review and meta-analysis it did prevent episiotomies which should be prevented anyway just because we don't do those anymore but they also found something kind of interesting that said hey it reduced the duration of second stage um okay that's kind of interesting maybe because the outlet is a little bit uh more pliable and more forgiving but it did not prevent uh the incidence or severity of perineal tears so even though the bulk of the data shows that it doesn't hurt and, and definitely can reduce the rate of lacerations, this last systematic review from 2023 did not confirm that. Now that we're sufficiently frustrated and a little confused, let's just wrap this up with some clinical implications and we'll drive this home. All right, podcast family. So what's the take-home message here? Well, there's several. One, you got to love data. You got to love how studies work. Because as soon as you think you've figured something out, here comes somebody and it, they 
spit in your coffee. You're like, like, oh, man, I thought I had something here. And then, poop, it completely goes backwards. That's okay. Remember, medicine is an art. So don't get frustrated by that. It's all right. The second clinical pearl is that lacerations are, are a big part of postpartum morbidity. Yes, third and fourth degrees are the worst, but never discount first or second degree because not only is there physical trauma, but there's also a psychological component that goes with that. And that is more than just something in the immediate postpartum interval, but can affect intimacy in some studies up to 18 months. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that antepartum uh, and or intrapartum perineal massage can't hurt and could possibly help. And while the bulk of the data does show that there is some reduction in lacerations at time of delivery, the last systematic review didn't show that. So again, as we explained to the patients that this is low risk and it's something they can try, especially if they're nulligravid, um, but that the benefit is a little uh, debatable, um, but in the majority of the data, it, it is beneficial, but not everybody agrees. So what do I tell my patients? I say, go at it. Hey, if you want to try it and it's a low-risk intervention and it could only help, absolutely. And I give the analogy of the marathon almost daily to my nulligravid patients is, hey, you wouldn't start a marathon without ever stretching, would you? Well, why would you put your body through the same kind of thing? Not only should you stretch in general, so I'm a big fan of yoga, and I've said that before, and of just perineal stretching uh, and body stretching in general, that can only help condition your body for labor. And vaginal conditioning, vaginal perineal massage does have uh, a role as far as I'm concerned, despite the 2023 data, because other data has shown otherwise. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. I hope you found this helpful. Thank you all for your encouraging little notes and messages. I, I take that to heart. Like I said, look, I'm, I'm here on call. I really would like to be taking a nap, but but I wanted to get this out because number one, it makes me happy. Two, it, it does really fulfill me. I think this is part of my calling. And third, um, I, I think this is how medicine should be. So thank you for your encouraging words. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I don't take those lightly. They really do put fuel to the fire. So I appreciate you all. And as always, we're glad that you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.